Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we are all back. We're reviewing The Killer and The Holdovers, and filmmaker Alexander Payne joins us to discuss his new film. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 288 of Real Blend, a podcast that's trading our Thanksgiving leftovers for holdovers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You, I really wish you'd you. just let that let that beat sit for like a little bit two or three more seconds. Want me to try it again? Let me try it again. Yeah, one more time. Right. Here we go. Here we go. A podcast that's trading our Thanksgiving leftovers. Hold it. Hold it. Let it simmer. All right, bring it in. For holdovers. There it is. Hey, there we go. There we go. Gabe, cut and print that one. We're done. Yeah, that's how we do the whole show. It's just, it's just directing each other. I cut all that out usually. On this week's show, uh, we're all back and it's insufferable. <laughs> we have a lot of movie reviews to catch up on. And, and this week, filmmaker Alexander Payne is joining the show to discuss his new film, The Holdovers. Which Did we say we're going to review that? Are we reviewing that later in yeah. the show? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, let me introduce the guys because we're all back. Like, So I was down and out. Uh, sick. I got to listen to Jake and Gabe carry the the load for the Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix. Excellent job, guys. You guys did a fantastic job with that. Thank you. Uh, thank you. It was fun to hear Jake uh, mention how weird it is. He was like, no one should think that these are like my stories or through the filter of me because it was Kev. I don't know how you felt. I'll start with Kevin McCarthy of Fox Five in Washington D.C. Like <laughs> I wanted to be part of that conversation. I really wanted to, but it was it's travel, and then I got really yeah. sick, and so it, I missed out. You know, catching up on that on those amazing opportunities. I mentioned. I don't know if you guys got that. Who who heard what or if I mentioned it? But as I mentioned on the show for listeners at home, as the year comes to an end, it's a perfect time for us to reflect on the year, and so the plan is for. An episode before the end of the year, all of us together talking oh, yeah. about our year, and you guys mm-hmm. will get the chance to uh, talk about Paris in depth. So, gotcha. Yeah, and 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 that particular so like the day you both recorded, I know Sean was sick. I was flying back from Los Angeles, uh, literally while you guys were recording. But I, um, yeah, in the the interviews. If you haven't heard them, if you're just tuning into this show this week and you haven't heard the past week's shows or the bonus episodes, the Joaquin Phoenix interview uh, is is awesome, and so is Sir Ridley Scott. And uh, yeah, I mean, Jake and and Gabe did justice to the stories. But as Sean said, like there were so many little details about those moments um, with Joaquin, particularly like, you know, he was making an espresso, as you know, we talked about and uh, we talked about Chuck Taylor's and then we all sat down. We didn't even know we were rolling yet. And then we realized we were five minutes in and we were actually recording, which I thought was funny. Um, But Joaquin was incredible. It was was a really great experience to him. Call himself walk. <laughs> in the middle of that story, yeah. multiple times because now Sean's ringtone now. <laughs> Michelle calls you just here. Walk. Yeah, uh, the idea that, is, that Joaquin Phoenix has been on our show twice is kind of insane. It's to pretty me. ridiculous. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. Ridley, Ridley Scott's been on our show twice. Yeah. Yes. He yes. Has. Christopher yes. Nolan's been on our show twice. <laughs> Tom Quinn, Hanks has been. Quinn Tarantino's been on the show four times. On four times. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Why are we doing what? this anymore? Is there anyone in the three peat club right now, or is it just? Two and, and then the one. Damien four. has Damien been on three times. Damien was Chazelle was twice. Twice. Yeah. twice. Oh wait, <laughs> <laughs> still happening. Kevin, Kevin's back. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're just listening to audio, I just put the the number two up for yes. Damien Chazelle, and a bunch of balloons exploded. Which is weird to believe that, that Kevin's been hacked, but like these are like the most like kind, generous, playful hackers of all time. They're like, <laughs> we just wanted to have a good time. Yeah, I think I was interviewing like John. 
Matisse today and like about a very serious film and I think oh, no. my thumbs up ended up in the actual <laughs> <laughs> frame like that. And I was like talking to him about this serious movie he made with his wife called American Symphony. Um, but yeah, anyways, this it, I've, I've been trying to keep my hands out of frame when I talk <laughs> now because <laughs> I can't Hopefully. seem to. I've uninstalled, reinstalled Zoom. I've gone through every single <laughs> trial and error of everything, and it won't go away. If anybody gotta, listening to this has any idea how to get rid of these stupid gestures, and I know that there's a gesture button. It's not us. It's not it. like it's yeah. but Jake and I and Gabe yeah. is able to do it. And no, it's funny. I, Kevin, I think you have started uh, uh, you've started a movement because I just got a new MacBook Pro and I just I checked in with the the tech crew uh, on a junket because before you do junkets, you check in with make sure everything looks and sounds good. And I said, hey, I may need you guys sort of to walk me through the process again. And they said, all right, but we really need to sit you down and make sure that we don't have this gestures thing. And so you have like everyone on yeah. standby and afraid that we're all going to yeah. start this whole gestures thing. Well, Meg Ryan thought it was hilarious. It was was hilarious. Thankfully, when oh. it happened, it really badly. It happened specifically in the middle middle of a Meg Ryan David Duchovny interview, and uh, she thought it was hilarious. So I'm going to argue that 99 percent of the time it's hilarious. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's going to be an example where it's inappropriate, yeah. but right now it makes me laugh so much. Yeah, every luckily time it, it hasn't happened during something like massively serious yet. I mean, yeah. even though the John Batiste movie is serious it was during like like a like a fun moment so it was fine that's hilarious anyways Uh, well that's jake hamilton of fox 32 in chicago hi jake how are you doing i'm gonna be honest i didn't even realize you hadn't introduced me i thought we moved on i thought we were were rolling good to see you buddy that's how the three of us go this year love you and uh gabe kovach is joining us in the producer's chair gabe thank you again for for like i said holding down the fort while i was uh Wasting away to nothing. My um, pleasure. I'm glad you're feeling better, buddy. Coming back from and uh, I I do I I knew it was going to happen. Coming that that Paris trip. My only contribution to the con to this discussions of the Paris trip is that I was looking uh, recently at the uh, Paris photos, the the Eiffel Tower photos that we posted, and I thought, what we were in Paris like a week ago. Yeah. Like that the whole thing was such a whirlwind. It was such a whirlwind that I feel like even though we enjoyed our time while we were there, I can't I can't I can't process the fact that we were like flew to France and back. And we do this a lot. I get what sure. we do this a lot, but it's still unnerving. Like, it's just weird that the, like I, I don't know about you. The, for me, the only saving grace, because if and this there's no way to say this without being like, oh, I've been to Paris before. But like yeah, we've all yeah, been yeah. fortunate enough yeah. to have been to Paris before. If that had been the first time I'd been to Paris, I would have been pretty disappointed at our inability to, quite frankly, do anything. Yeah, uh, because I always told people I did a like, ton of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> well, you were, but but adjacent to working, you yeah. were still like you were you were working the whole oh, time. It was all work, like you yeah. literally yeah. flew in early, early to work. work. Mm. Yeah, um, like so I literally I, landed and went to the yeah. Louve to get because I to was get, all to part get of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, so I think to me that's kind of what made the the quickness of the trip bearable for lack of a better word just sort of like okay because we've we've been there before we've seen it and it was great to sort of see it again you never get tired of seeing you know the the eiffel tower the arctic triumph um but you know that was a first that was pretty cool cool. that was pretty cool 
That is very cool. Well, anyway, if you're joining us uh, on the YouTube channel very much, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, go down, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. You'll be alerted every Friday morning when the new show drops. We appreciate that. Uh, YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Of course, we're available all the different places where your audio needs are met. We are receiving plenty of messages from people who are letting us know that we have made their Spotify wrapped which I think is really, really cool. That's Thank you for, uh, for the people who have listened to Real Blend and logged uh, a wild amount of minutes. Uh, I did my Spotify wrapped. I realized that my number one podcast is The Rewatchables, which is terrific and not our own because I don't really listen to our show all that much. But as everybody was getting their wrapped and then mine came and it wasn't us, I was like, mm, I guess Were that we in your top sense. five? Um, That's yeah. A no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. For podcasts, yes, yeah. you were. Yeah. We were. Okay. Kev, we both had Blink-182 as our number one. That That's right. Yeah. Blink and then it said like yeah. peaked in October, which is when the new album came out. So right. I was like, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mine was um, like Blink, Ready to Nas, Kill Switch Engage, and Slipknot. Those are my four. <laughs> that that computes for Pretty you without list. a doubt. Yeah. So uh and of course, if you've signed up for Real Blend Premium, the you get an ad-free version of the show. And then this week you will get a newsletter from me. And I had an idea, and I was gonna write it earlier, and now I forget what it is. Um Okay, I'm going to, yeah, I don't know. You, you guys will know by the time you're listening to this, it'll be in your inbox. So, um, Alexander Payne, we've been trying to get him on the show for a little while. We've had some scheduling conflicts. His movie has been enjoying a, a bit of an extended rollout. It went to a couple of different uh, fall film festivals, generated a, a ton of buzz. It is now coming out in uh, select theaters, I believe. I think it's still, uh, it's, or is it, it's, it's everywhere it's now? It's in theaters. It's been in theaters for a, uh, a few weeks. Um, okay. It's, 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 I believe it's reached its full release. If, I'm not sure if they're going to add more theaters later on, but it's doing really well in terms of box office. It's Good. literally holding over um, hey. like week to week. Um, but it's also the week we're recording this since it's been out in theaters for a few weeks now. It's also available on demand. Oh. Um, I think as of this Tuesday. Go. So we're recording that this on Wednesday. As it, well, and then and, and I, I that was I saw a great tweet about that because we we all know that we're in a different world now and things are going to streaming a lot quicker than they were before, um, which is an interesting thing with Barbie and Oppenheimer, because Barbie went to streaming way quicker, way more mm -hmm. fa way faster um, than Oppenheimer did. And now Oppenheimer is out this week on demand or last week on demand. And so that one had a healthy theatrical, as did Barbie, but it did go early. Uh, Holdovers is an interesting one because it's one of those films that is doing well at the box office. It actually mm -hmm. is having good legs. Um, and I was a little I think Warner Brothers did this, too. When Barbie when Barbie was initially announced to go to VOD, they pushed it an, an extra week because it was still doing well in the box office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though it came out on, on demand, it was like twenty four ninety nine or whatever it was to buy or rent or whatever it was at that time. Um, it, it is an interesting thing. If I'm focused features and I'm doing the holdovers and I'm seeing the hold this movie's having week to week. I would push that back. When, I wonder. Um, I wonder yeah. because in theatrical, they have to split what they're earning with the theaters. If, if it's streaming, oh, do they get a bigger piece of that? It's an interesting point. I mean, because like, like and it's interesting because, yeah. So like I I saw a tweet about this and like how this was actually too early. So now I will say this. Let, let's put this into perspective. When I say a film is doing well, Holdovers has made 13 million so far okay. at the box office. Now, okay. It's doing well for what it is. Right. Sure, and, sure. And, and and I don't believe the actual the widest release in terms of the theaters. I have to get the exact numbers. But I'm like, for example, like sixteen hundred theaters, which is about right. 
less than half of, of half. what. Yeah. Like its opening weekend was 211,000. So clearly they went. It seems like they're platforming it and yeah. it's going wider and wider. But this is it is an interesting thing to think about. But this is one of those films that is available on demand. So if you are interested in not leaving your home, I recommend going to a theater. Um, well, but in terms of this movie, it's doing well for what it is. Yeah. And I will tease uh, in our interview that Alexander will tell you where you should go if you want to see a 35 millimeter struck print of the holdovers as well, too. There are certain theaters that he singles out individually. So there's your tease. Uh, and now here's the whole thing. Here's Alexander Payne joining the Real Blend podcast to talk the holdovers. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. I'm going to start off with a, a personal anecdote that was that meant a lot to me. This is one of my favorite films I've seen in a long time, and I've been on antidepressants since I was 14 years old. And obviously over the years, how's your sex? No, you know how antidepressants, you know what they can do to you. It's terror. It's terrible. Um, But the reason I bring that up is because there's an amazing sequence in this film where we learn that both uh, Paul's character and Dominic's character are both on the same medication. And I thought to myself, man, you know, in those times and obviously in recent years, it's become more destigmatized. But to have known that a teacher was also dealing with the same problems that I was dealing with as a kid would have been profound to me. And this is taking place, obviously, decades before. But I was just curious where that came from. And is that something that was personal to you? Because I found that to be such a beautiful moment in the movie. (laughs) It's uh, very refreshing to get a brand new question about this movie. So thank you for that. Uh, No, I have to credit David Hemmingson, the writer, with the Librium joke. I mean, it's both funny, but also a kind of a lovely linking device between uh, teacher and student. They're both on early, early generation Librium antidepressant. Yeah, thanks for picking up on that. I love that. Love that. So I kind of want to use... this film, The Holdovers, uh, and and even go back to election as sort of signposts uh, over the course of your career and specifically how they deal with the thoughts of the teacher student relationship and, and whether you even in looking at the characters feel closer or relate to uh, back when you were doing election, whether you related to, to Tracy or related to Mr. McAllister or even. One of, one well, you of ha- as a director, you have to a writer director. You have to relate to everybody on some level, even if they're wildly different from you. Right. The only way you can write a character and later as a director, know what the actors are going through in a given scene is to feel those feelings yourself. So, <clears throat> yeah, I certainly try to get to know all the characters and 
relate to them as much as I can. Now, have you seen that evolve to to maybe the way that you view a teacher, a teacher or a student in the way that you approach holdovers now? I'd, I'd like to say I evolve. You know, heck, that's 25 years ago. I hope I've evolved somehow. Mm-hmm. Still make a lot of life mistakes, but um <laughs> The other part of me just wants to say they're very different stories. Mm. And each story had a diff- had different requirements for, you know, elections kind of more of a <clears throat> cynical fable in a way. And this is one's a little bit more of a, I don't know, understanding or empathetic look at the. No, I think my I, I'm always somewhat empathetic. Mm. I don't know, man. Maybe that's for you to say. I don't know how to say it. Or, or <laughs> You should ask me to think about that in advance. I could have put some thought into it. That's fine. <laughs> We're going to try to hit you with a few things you haven't discussed yet. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Expect, don't expect great answers, but keep going. <laughs> that, that's okay. That's okay. Um, you know, there's there's a Picasso quote that you use in this film that I found deeply profound as well, which I'm going to go ahead and read it to the audience. Is every you child has never heard that before. That's pretty common. I had not heard this quote before. Okay. And all right. That's you know what I don't know what that says about my education, but I had not heard this quote, and I love the quote. And so every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he grows up. Um, and I wanted to throw that quote to you as a filmmaker because there's obviously a decision that's made at some point in your life where you're going to remain an artist. Um, and I just wonder. I know it might be a loaded question to ask you, but do you remember that evolution where you were like, "I'm going to remain an artist. I'm going to continue doing this as an adult." I, I do remember that progression, and it's a lovely question. Thank you. And actually, I kind of had the artist beaten out of me for a while. I mean, I was not, hmm. as the product of a second-generation immigrant background, where education is certainly prized and pushed, but as far as career choice goes, artist is not up there with medicine, law, and uh, business. So I, yeah, so I distinguished myself well, I think, at my Jesuit high school and then at Stanford studying history and Spanish. But, uh, and I, my parents were kind of hammering me to go to law school at that point. And my fallback was going to be journalism. I applied to Columbia Graduate School of Journalism and got in as I thought I might and hoped I would. Had I not gotten into uh, acceptance letter from a graduate film school, I my trajectory would have been very different. But anyway, I just remember very consciously when I got into f- film school, it was something I just had to try, even if I were to find out that I sucked at it. <laughs> I consciously was telling myself, unlearn what I've been taught in terms of critical thinking and being very uh, logical and critical and f- try to feel more and don't look for logic. Just, I just remember, I, I don't know how to put it any other way than to say I was, I did consciously tell myself in my early and mid twenties, I've got to unlearn some stuff mm-hmm. some skill, and try to look into this other part of, because even though I was, had this academic training, got to remember my dad telling me, I didn't send you to Stanford to become a waiter. <laughs> but even I had, though I had this academic training, I'd always kind of been a, a huge movie buff and also kind of a class clown and, you know, wrote a lot of, you know, funny columns. And you know, I, w- I always tried to be slightly, I don't know, not tried. I was always slightly iconoclastic, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, 
anyway, film school is very important for me, I think, in terms of that transition from a, a traditional background, you know, high school and good college education to then pursuing a career in the arts. I kind of needed that that conservatory atmosphere of uh, film school to develop that muscle. Hmm. I know this sounds esoteric, but like, did, did you feel like you found your people then when you arrived at film school? Because yes. Yes. I can honestly say that like, I, I, until I found these idiots like i didn't really know where who my people were and the reason i gravitated towards these guys and we did this show is that i felt like i found my people finally did you did you experience that 100 percent. yeah and some of my closest friends in the world now remain my comrades from ucla film school mm -hmm. and then by extension i just adore film people mm -hmm. and the circus tent is large you know, young people think, God, you know, or their parents tell them, oh, how are you going to break into uh, break into movies? It's so hard and so cliquish. And, you know, and to become a director, for example, or an actor, God, it's just so the odds are so against you. Yeah, maybe for a couple of the jobs, but the tent is huge, mm -hmm. you know, and there's so many different and generous. It's huge and generous. If you want to work somehow in movies, you can. Mm. It may not be as a cinematographer or a director, but you can work in those departments. There's a, you know, uh, <clears throat> during production, it's, you know, two two to 300 people are, are hired and then add, you know, a significant amount of that in post-production. I'm working now with a marketing and publicity team for a studio mm -hmm. who are as disciplined and crack and movie crazy as anyone who works in production. Mm -hmm. So and then add on preservationists, uh, uh, film restorers, film festival programmers, yeah. cinema, people who run cinematechs. And, you know, I'm from Omaha. We have film streams or the Belcourt in Nashville or Coolidge Corner or, you know, wherever you want to go. There, it's a really large world of film, of film people. And they're all part of the tribe. And I and I adore them. Sure, you meet some egotistical assholes from time to time, but you do in any walk of life. Sure, mm, definitely. You know, Mr. Payne, uh, I, I'm going to tell please, you this. Please I hope you, Alexander. Alexander, oh. uh, I hope you know that I'm saying this. I found this film to be very comforting. And I find that in a very interesting way because it's dealing with very heavy subject matter in certain aspects of things, but also it just felt like a slice of life, real people, real problems. And this these relationships between these characters are really beautiful. And then you have the one six six ratio, which gives it this claustrophobic feeling that we're stuck there. Instead of claustrophobic, could you maybe say intimate? Intimate, <laughs> intimate. Uh, well, the only reason I use the word claustrophobic is because because of the Dominic's character, he feels like he's trapped. And I felt like that was an aspect of it. But the intimacy, no question, you're 100% right. But then when I walked out of the film, I thought to myself, no question, this was shot 35. It looked like film. It looked incredible. And then I learned to read that it's shot digitally. And I was blown away by that because it felt like a film from that time period. And obviously with the ratio, can you talk about the editing process to then bring it to the look that we eventually see? And when you're shooting on the day, how do you know where grain's going to pop or cigarette? What, how, how, how do you think about that as you're shooting digitally? The cinematographer and I did tests on 35, 16 and digital. Hmm. And with all three, we learned that we were going to have to do so much treatment after the fact to achieve a period 
film look that it didn't make a whole lot of difference. Do I wish we had shot a uh, film? Sure, but we shot digitally and, you know, it just helps. You're just supposed to shoot digitally now for some reason and, you know, budgetary, obviously. Anyway, it worked out fine. <clears throat> uh, we did use period lenses, but a lot of filmmakers use period lenses even for contemporary hmm. uh, contemporary films. Um, I think a big part of it is the production design. What's in front of the camera? Um, I just rewatched the other day Pavel Pavlikovsky's Ida. Mm. That movie, that's a really convincing use of period. It's in the 50s, 50s or 60s. And you feel like you're there. It's it's it feels like it was as though it were shot then. And uh no, no aspect of period production design is, you know, your 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 face isn't rubbed in it. It feels like a contemporary movie, but made you know, made then. Hmm. Um, so, and I wouldn't say editing so much per se, but in the colorization, in the in the coloring with the digital intermediate, that's where we did all those, added a lot of grain and there are some new grain products, new to me anyway. Hmm. 10 years ago, I had put some grain on the movie Nebraska and it wasn't anywhere near the quality that they have today. Oh, interesting. Excuse me. And oh, I didn't know Nebraska was digital. I didn't know Nebraska was digital. Yeah, but I appreciate your question. And also, if you happen to be in currently Nashville, Chicago, or Boston, you can see the holdovers on 35 millimeter. Oh, did you strike a 70 print as well or just 35? Uh, just 35. Mm, I can't That's wait. Fantastic. I would love to see it on film. That would be amazing. Yeah, then so the, the illusion is more complete. Because, <laughs> no, honestly, because yeah. then you have projection. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of care less about what I shoot on, but I like film projection because I always think flick flicker will always be superior to glow. Yeah, very true. Couldn't very agree true. more. You're, you're talking to the right show because we spent yeah, yeah. hours and hours talking about film versus digital with like Quentin Tarantino and Christopher Nolan, all these guys. Like, it's very fascinating to hear different filmmakers. Uh, and you've, got, on that. you've got kind of absolutists. You know, you've got Nolan and Tarantino on one hand, film, film, film. And, you know, I and I still want to shoot film and I'm all for it. But then you have like Fincher and Soderbergh on the other side. It's like, Did you, fuck film. Who needs it? You know, we've got this other thing. And so who knows? The good news is that the job of the director remains technology proof. What's the story? Who, who are the actors? Where should they stand? What lens are we using and how are we going to edit it? No matter what we shoot on, that job remains the same. Mm. Damn. Alexander, do you edit while you shoot? Or do no. you no, no after that? Has that always been your process? Yes. Who's Is got there, time? I don't have time to edit while I'm shooting. No. Who has time for that? I yeah. don't know. I, I, I'm not quite sure how streamlined the process is, but I wasn't sure, especially going digitally. I think, think, I think Maniac so I think Maniac Soderbergh edits while he shoots. Oh, I go shoot. <laughs> Then I go home and edit, and then I get my 90 minutes sleep and then go back to shooting the next day. And then I'm done within a week of like, I, I, I don't know how he does it. He's that guy's a machine. Um, oh, you know who just told the state? Sir Ridley Scott said that he had well, a 12 shoots. Well, Ridley well, was Ridley was editing Gladiator <laughs> too because they were on the strike. That's why he got that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, my editor is doing is editing. I'm not editing. Mm -hmm. The editor is slapping together, you know, is putting the scenes together. And I, I watch it in bits and pieces when I start editing, but I don't even watch dailies. Really? And I do for like the first week or so to make sure things are, you know, just get a feel for it. 
But then production starts and I'm both too tired at the end of the day to want to watch dailies. Mm -hmm. And also I was there when they shot it. So I know what we have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the other thing too is when I finally do enter the editing room, <clears throat> I want to enter it like an editor mm -hmm. with the cold, with the cold, fresh eyes of an editor. I don't want to enter the cutting room as a director, but rather as an editor. And if I get some distance from what was shot, then I can do that more, more coldly and objectively. I'm really glad you brought up working with the marketing department because there's a shot that fascinates um, our, our co-host who who appeared briefly and then decided he was going to take off for the rest of the day. Uh, and <laughs> the freeze onto Mr. Giamatti's face um, when Dominic's character makes the leap and, and then breaks his arm. And it's it's this hysterical reaction. The freeze is in the trailer. Yes, it's exactly. the last shot of the trailer. Yeah, yeah. it's the yeah. last shot of the trailer. And and. Jake loves it. It makes him laugh so hard every single time because of Paul's it reaction. Funny. It yeah, and funny. I, did you know at the moment when he did it that you had something special that you were going to continue to use throughout the marketing, or is that just a something you captured? And when when, when Paul Giamatti made that face as yes. we were shooting, no, I the shot was funny. I had no idea it was going to be in the trailer or that a freeze frame was in the works. Right. That's only one of the trailer editors stumbled upon that. We're like, yes, yes, yes. That's funny, funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw Oppenheimer so many times. That every time they would show the holdovers trailer, it would just freeze on that shot. And it had like the movement of like the films from that day. I, I was very <laughs> impressed by the camera work in this film, but also a lot of narrative choices. There's some really interesting canted angles that you use that create attention and, and, and intensity as well. But also there's this really cool shot when they're driving. You're like pushing into him as he's turning. I just love the little shots and details in the film. But oh. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, this is going to be more of a spoiler question. So I'll put we'll, we'll mention to our viewer audience that this is going to be behind a wall where they can either skip ahead or go forward. But I think it's not a murder. It's not a murder mystery. Who cares? <laughs> OK, well, then I'm, I'm going to tell you one of the most one of the greatest endings I've seen in a film in a long time was the decision to have these two characters shake hands and not hug. And as much as an audience member, I wanted them to hug because they earned it. Right. But at the end of the day, in my mind, the handshake makes total sense. And I'm so happy you didn't go with the hug. And I was just curious what the decision making process was there. Did you ever consider the hug? And what do you think the handshake signifies? I think it's way more uh, apparent to their characters that they handshake. The answer is contained within your question. Okay. Uh, there was no decision. Hmm. They would always shake hands. I didn't even get a shot, a close up of the hands clasping. The, it just wouldn't have been appropriate. It's just better if they shake hands and what they need to say is in their eyes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not, not in the gesture, it's in their eyes. And they both oh. do a very good job with what they're saying in their eyes, which is essentially, I love you and I'll miss you and thank you. Mm -hmm. That's all there. They don't need to hug. Oh, it's like it's like in my heart, I'm like, hug, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't hug. <laughs> so, a brief anecdote about that. I don't know if if you know, you probably do who the legendary film editor and sound designer Walter Murch is. Mm -hmm. Well, I called Walter Murch before making the film to ask him for advice on the sound because I knew I wanted it, the movie to be in mono. But how to do it, we talked about, well, make sure no sound is 8 dBs a lot louder than any other sound, including a gunshot, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
and uh, cut to the London Film Festival a couple of months ago. So I'm over there and he happens to live with his wife in London part of the year. And he came to the screening and I was, you know, very honored, of course, that he showed up. And uh, I ran into him after the screening and he said, you know, good job. I said, fine. And then remembering our conversation, he said, you know what the most 70s touch of the film was? I said, no, what? He said that they didn't hug. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, man, that that stuck with me. And I've seen I saw the movie like a month, month and a half or so ago, whatever it was. And that scene. Oh, Go it's ahead, not Sean. a very emotional uh, oh, decade, but it's perfect. perfect. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, they're a little bit closed off. Um, So I heard you mention uh, in a recent interview how you still love to have actors read for you and how even when you had Bruce Stern uh, for Nebraska, that he was kind enough to, to come and read for you. Um, it, returning to Mr. Giamatti, did did he read for you for, for this script? No. Hmm. Not necessarily. In general, I I do like actors to read. It just, it just helps. It just helps me see the movie and it just helps me out. And it's nice to have kind of a proto rehearsal, just sort of, so I can think about what to do with this actor in that part. The exceptions in my career have been Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt. Bruce, mm. Dur no, Bruce did read. Oh, I didn't ask Clooney to read for the descendants. Okay. I just thought he could probably do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a pretty amazing actor. You know, I, I've always wanted to ask this because I find this interesting. Oh, and, Damon, and I didn't have Matt Damon read for downsizing. Oh, okay. not, that you, huh. not that you saw it, but, you know. Downsizing made my top 10 the year that it came out, sir. I, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> I thought that movie was terrific. Thanks. So. Very good. Thank you. I've always been fascinated by how a director chooses to say or present themselves in the credits. Um, <clears throat> Martin Scorsese does a Martin Scorsese picture. Quentin Tarantino does like the eighth or ninth film by Quentin Tarantino. I believe you do an Alexander Payne movie. Um, and I've always been curious if that's a decision the filmmaker makes not to use movie or use film or a film by, but also how you place your credits. I think your name ends up on the back of a chair in this one. Um, and I was trying to remember, like, uh, do you think about how that process works and i even think you use the same song twice in the opening credits if i'm not mistaken so i was just curious like how those wait credits wait, wait. you're like five questions in this sorry one. sorry stop right there okay. <laughs> that's so, kevin's approach uh, he'll hit you with five questions <laughs> sorry i have so much i want to ask you if you must know this was my eighth feature film and the first one in which i actually put a film by or a I've always had the contractual right to do it, but I eschewed it. I've always thought directed by is a fine enough credit for me. Hmm. And um, I don't know. I got to say, even producing credits, like everybody wants a pretty such glommers. Everybody wants a producing credit. This is a movie where I had the idea. I found the writer. I called up the producer to see if he'd produce it once we had the script. You know, I'm the Aristotelian prime mover. Do you think I took a producer credit? No, <laughs> not interested. Also, I want when I hire a producer, I want to be able to say, you take care of this. You're the producer. Mm -hmm. well, I don't want to have to take care of that stuff. So but it's but I guess because I had kind of originated the, the project and Maybe I've been around long enough. I did, and and a lot of directors of the 70s kind of did it. I did finally 
do something at the beginning and and rather than an Alexander Payne film, I, I just thought I like movies. Hmm. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to get too precious and there's certainly a pretentiousness in being unpretentious. Mm. And I, you know, I plead guilty to that, but um, I like movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, am I wrong? Am I wrong about the two, the song repeating twice in the credits? Am I wrong? About, am I mistakenly hearing that? You are correct. It's, it's the same song and then it's interrupted by two other songs and then it's reprised. Then it comes back. Damien Gerardo's uh, "Silver Joy" is the song. Huh, I thought that was really interesting. I, I've never, never seen that before. So, nor I. We just, you know, Kevin and I just stumbled upon that. Kevin Tenth, the editor. It's cool. So, um, I, I do want to go back to a, a specific scene in Sideways. Obviously, it's you and Mr. Giamatti reuniting. Um, and there's that moment from Sideways that <clears throat> still holds up to this day, which reportedly affected an entire alcohol industry, which is the I'm not drinking any more fucking Merlot. The day that you filmed that scene, did you have any idea the impact that it was going to have? And what kind of conversations did you and Mr. Giamatti have in terms of reaching that delivery? Because his delivery is so perfect of the line. I don't remember. That's 20 years ago. Sure. I rarely have to say anything to that guy. Mm. He just he just does. I mean, he. He's so good in that scene. Uh, what's his name? Thomas Hayden Church says, "Did you bring your Xanax?" And he pulls out his jar, his his uh, the bottle, and he shakes it like it's a maraca. <laughs> I stuff like that. Yeah. In this movie, what's this one? The holdovers. He's at one point. He says, uh, "Oh, Mr. Koontz, or should I say Icarus? Fly a little cl- too close to the sun, did we?" <laughs> this this dialogue is in the screenplay, but that he acted out a little bird fly a little cl- too close to the. F- That's the actor. Yeah, those are marvelous things that a good actor can bring. Mm-hmm. That's right. By the way, by the way, I'm going to give away a, some, a something which it's not profound. But next year is the 20th anniversary of Sideways. And of course, I'm anticipating some, you know, Santa Barbara County wine country invitations and celebrations. The idea is to only serve Merlot. <laughs> that would be amazing. No, things no, like no, think, think, things Merlot. might go. Slow. We have 100 percent. We absolutely should. Let's oh, please offer, yeah. offer an olive branch. Things might go sideways if that happens. Hey, I'm sorry. Jesus, right. Kevin, we um, made it this far. One of my favorite scenes uh, in the holdovers, um, and I'm going to go a little deep here because I, I love this moment. There's a moment where Paul's character essentially gets to reunite with kind of like a bully character of his, uh, and Dominic is there, and they're talking about the concept of like where they ended up in their lives. And obviously with, with Paul's character, we know where he is in terms of his life. But I love that line that Paul says after they walk away. I think it's something along the lines of he didn't deserve to hear my story. He doesn't deserve my story. Um, and I I love that moment. And I and I just wondered what, you know, when you film a sequence like that and you shoot a moment like that, do you think at all about maybe interacting with people from your past that maybe didn't believe in you or or, or maybe like bullied you or in some way? I think I was bullied a lot in school. So I just found that to be a great moment. I would love to, have, you know, I just thought that was a really cool thing to say. He doesn't deserve my story. I think I'm paraphrasing the line, but. I love that moment. So, no, <laughs> I didn't think about. It. I know I, I I didn't think about any of that stuff. <laughs> but what, what did that yeah, scene mean to you as a filmmaker to direct that sequence? I, I just love that moment in the film. I know it's random, but I do. 
what what I liked about it was uh, where we were shooting, there was a staircase. Mm -hmm. And I just thought uh, it would be nice if the this friend from his past that we staged it. So he were a couple of steps above Paul. So he's oh. looking. So he's looking down on him. That was my idea for that. So, you know, I'm just the script is one thing and that's fine. But I'm also, you know, thinking about how to stage it and keep the frame alive and everything. And but also imply this power. Yes. Uh, discrepancy between them two. So the Paul, what's his name? Uh, Hugh Cavanaugh is the guy. Mm -hmm. He's always looking down on Paul. Yeah, I love that moment. Great scene. Well, Alexander, well, we are I got to say, but you're talking about the writing. So that's that's Hemmingson. That's mm. that, that's all David Hemmingson stuff. Mm. We're being told we're out of time. We really appreciate you coming on. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for asking really thoughtful questions and new questions for me. We tried oh. to. I mean, I, this is a long process for you on this journey. Yeah. So, We'd love yeah, to get you back on. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. We'll have you back on again, Mr. Uh, Alexander. We really appreciate your time today. Congratulations uh, you, on making one of the best me, you films. You can call me Mr. Payne. <laughs> All right, Mr. Payne. All right, Take Mr. care, Payne. sir. Thank you very day. much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We want to thank Alexander Payne for coming on the show. He's a terrific guest. Uh, we would yeah. love to have him back, obviously. Uh, as he's you funny. Tell, well, yeah, and his humor is very much part of his screenplay. It's like he's just a dry dude. He's dry. Talking to him dude. is like watching one of his movies. Like yeah. it, 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 it's literally like watching one of his films. Like yeah. it's the dryness. It's 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 funny. It's smart. It's um. He's a really interesting guy, and I was very fascinated because one of the things that we said in the interview, which is what blew my mind was that the film was shot digitally. It looks, remember we had James Gray on for Armageddon time mm -hmm. and he walked us through this incredible process about how they're adding 35 millimeter grain to these films now. And you can't really tell. Um, and I just thought that also I want to give Payne a shout out for just being honest. Like it was cool that like there was a couple moments in that interview, Sean, and you remember like I would say something he would say, he would try to defend it. And then I would give my reasoning and he would go, oh, that's actually interesting. He was like, a, it was I I'd never really talked to a filmmaker that you could almost not argue with, but like, can I go back and forth a little bit in terms of your terminology and what you meant by it? Um, and it was just cool that he, you know, he would make these very dry jokes, but he was he would he had no problem taking criticism or talking about it. Yeah. And I mean, even at one point he was like, you know, that I'm going to let you interpret it that way because yeah. I haven't thought of it this way. And that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. And, you know, he was really open to viewing his stuff through through a different lens. Um, I, Kevin, I want you to keep going on holdover because I know you're a huge fan of it. And uh, and where do you where does it fall kind of in terms of what you've seen this year? And also, how does it stack up to just your thoughts on other Alexander Payne films? Yeah, I mean, I know Jake and I are, are very high on this film. Um, it's my favorite movie he's ever made. No question. And, and, and I don't believe I've ever interviewed him until this this interview. I have to go back and double check, but I don't think I've ever talked to Alexander Payne before. Um, I actually didn't think we were ever going to get him. He seemed like a guy that was not really doing a ton of stuff. And, and um, when the interview opened, I don't know if this is going to be in the audio, but he was asking us a lot about our show and who we were and kind of mm -hmm. what we do. And um, it's really kind of an interesting guy. So it was just interesting to meet him. Um Sideways, obviously, and you asked a brilliant question about connecting election to this, which is about a teacher relationship as well. And, you know, his films have been a part of my filmography in my mind for, you know, a long time. I really um, like Descendants, too. I think Descendants is really good. I love Descendants. I also I, I don't remember downsizing as well. Um, I don't even remember if I, I, if, I, if I saw it fully. I know, Sean, you said it was in your top 10. To me, I wasn't joking when I said that, too. Like, I know you I, were. Legitimately, yeah. that made my top 10. I thought it was really creative. I think this film is just a beautiful slice of life. 
it's just real people on screen and and for two hours and i just felt it felt like i was watching humanity i was watching people who were dealing with actual real life problems that were then connecting over their differences and finding a bond especially the Dominic Sessa character. It's his first movie he's ever done. It's a mm-hmm. phenomenal performance. Uh, Giamatti, I think, deserves an Academy Award nomination. No question. It's one of the, I think it might be the best performance of his career. Um, and my first introduction to him was Private Parts. And that's still a great movie and great performance from him, but obviously a very different tone. By the way, I watched Private very, Parts while I was sick because you it, kept talking about pig vomit and it's on it's Amazon Prime and it's it still holds up. That movie's really funny. Dude, it's genuinely really funny. Um, but the holdovers is fantastic. Uh, the score is great. The soundtrack is great. Giamatti's great. The whole dynamic, the vibe of the film, it's it's so funny, but also extremely nuanced and subtle. Um, and I think Giamatti is one of those few actors who just like nobody else could have played that part. I, I genuinely believe that. Like that's yeah. a that is catered to what he is great at. But he also takes a lot of leaps. Um, I mentioned this in the interview, so I won't repeat this a bunch, but there's a lot of things in the in the film that spoke to me. Um, the medication sequence, which I mentioned, it was I thought that was and even like Alexander thought it was like a joke. But I'm like, no, like that's that. that scene is unbelievably great. Like what a, what a character sequence. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So and I also loved and I was thinking about Gabe. Uh, I told we were told, telling Alexander during the interview, I was like, hey, we'll put this up against a, a spoiler wall because uh, we're going to ask you at the ending. And he goes, this is not a murder mystery. I don't care. And he was like, <laughs> it was just so funny. Like, like the dude didn't even care that we were like talking about the ending. Um, but the ending of this film is perfect. That's all I want to say. I just think the the way they crescendo this arc and these characters. And then one more shout out to Dave I enjoy Randolph, um, who plays Mary in the film. Uh, it's uh, if you're not familiar, if you didn't get the story, basically they're held over obviously for the for the for the holidays and she's a character who's very important to the story but has one of the best scenes i've seen in cinema this year um in a, in a kitchen at a party um but yeah i i was i love this film i gave it a five out of five it's my number three of the year right now behind wow. oppenheimer and past lives um and I'll let jake continue this chorus because i know he loved it too i i think we were both blown away by how much we love this film like it just hit different yeah and and it's a movie that really um I, I loved it walking out i remember walking out going like wow that was that was really great but then something happened over the course of like four or five days where like it just sort of enveloped me and became like this like comfort blanket where it's i a just movie it's a very comforting movie and yeah. i you know the the character of mr hunnam the character that paul giamatti plays i think is just such a well done three dimensional person that you feel like, you know him, like you feel mm. like you, you know who that guy is so much so that I've spent a lot of time in the weeks since I've seen it really wondering without getting into spoilers, but what happens after that last scene there, you know, I'm so invested and honestly all of the characters in this movie that I'm weirdly emotional thinking about what comes next, you know, that, and that's sort of the beauty of the movie is like their lives could, uh, all of their lives, the three lead characters um, could all go in a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I just, all those characters are just so like well-realized whether, you know, coming from Alexander Payne's screenplay and then obviously being translated on camera with, you know, incredible performances. Um, It's just, it's, I, it, it makes me feel good. I could see that being the sort of movie that I turn on every year. 
that like just to to feel good almost in in the same way that i do uh like an almost famous where it just it just feels good i just love it i I just i really really love this movie um my favorite review of this movie and i'll leave it at this is uh what if the shining were heartwarming <laughs> and yeah. that and yeah. that so no, I, a, like at first i laughed yeah. and then i paused and went oh shit wait what okay, do you mean the, the shining is heartwarming yeah exactly <laughs> Gabe's, Gabe's only seen that one fake trailer of the shining it's on youtube that's his shining. entire perception <laughs> shining. I, I remember talking to jordan peele about that for get out because we were talking about comedy and horror and how they're so interchangeable because the because the reactions that you that you get from an audience are similar in a way like it's it's a very you know a, a immersive reaction about the surprise there's a lot of it it's right surprising your audience yeah and i think we were and we started joking about that shine trailer uh before we get to sean i just want to mention one quick thing um there's a whole through line in the holdovers uh speaking of the profound impact it's had on me since the movie ended like jake's talking about I'm now reading Marcus Aurelius's meditations because of it. Yes. <laughs> I, I, and obviously I know it's a very famous book, just like in the interview when uh, Payne was like joking with me about not knowing that Picasso quote. I hadn't heard that Picasso quote before, um, and which is the quote about a child. Every child is an artist until they decide when they grow up, if they're going to continue on that path, essentially I'm paraphrasing. Um, but there's a whole through line in the film about Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Um, I won't give away exactly what it is, but, once the film ended, I, I uh, so right now I'm in the middle of four books. I listen to audiobooks, and that's um, like an hour and a half into it. It's great. Um, so like I think it's like life changing material. So you never know. Movies really have that power. They really do. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to play the weird card of saying that I'm giving this movie four stars out of five, which means I liked it a lot, but didn't love it as much as you guys did. Um, four is still a good review. Like that's I mean, that's nothing to grab exactly. your pitchfork for. But because of this, like it's going to make it sound like, oh, I hated it kind of yeah, thing, which we joke. You, you Welcome to the Internet. We joke yeah. all the time about this. Um, you know, going into it, I, I had certain mile marks that I assumed that the movie was going to hit. It's from Alexander Payne. It stars Paul Giamatti. Uh, I expected it to be well written. I expected Giamatti to rise to the level of the material and deliver this incredible performance. He does. Um I thought Dominic Sessa was really great. Um, I loved the the way that he shot for period. Like I legitimately feel like he found canisters on the floor, uh, like film canisters, and just decided to thread them through a projector. And this is the movie that he found kind of thing. Like it legitimately looks like it was shot. There. Yeah, which is crazy. So there was nothing in it that blew me away. Now, I, well, I'm going to put this caveat on it because you guys like it as much as you did. I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival. So I saw it in the midst of and we've had this conversation on the show before. A lot of times you're seeing three to four movies a day. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I saw it on Sunday. I'd been there since Thursday. So I'm multiple days deep into the festival so it's very possible that i went into it hoping that it was going to really grip me by by the collar and and hold on and it didn't but i still really liked what i watched i just didn't come out of it raving so i'm without a doubt going to give it a uh, a second viewing we have should. screeners of it here and like i said i liked it a lot i know michelle will enjoy it so i'll watch it again with her i'll see if it hits me a little bit harder but for the most part i thought it was just a really good alexander Payne film and with a great paul, paul giamatti performance i think jake said this before like Sometimes like when you when a movie is out and you and you know that every I think Jake said this, there's there's a movie that, you know, that you can recommend to everybody and it's going to be great regardless. Like everybody that I've talked to that's seen this film, like I feel safe saying to anyone 
watch this. Yeah. Like, because there's no way you're going to walk out of it and go, that was terrible. That was yeah, awful. And we need it's, those it's, titles around this time works. of year. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there's a lot like, of salt burns there? out there, which I can't <laughs> recommend to anybody. And, uh, and then there, and then there's the, the holdovers. Mm. I just want to mention, I just want to tell a very brief story. Um, it probably hasn't taken you this long to realize that I was not a part of the Alexander Payne interview. That wasn't for you a lack weren't? of trying. I know. Shocks a lot of people. Um, but what happened was I was having uh, major tech issues. I have now since purchased a new MacBook Pro, but I was having some major problems. And right as I logged in to the interview with the boys and Alexander Payne was I they popped up on my screen. I could hear just Alexander Payne going. I just can't handle the bullshit of junkets. And then at that moment, my computer cut out. And that's when I made the conscious decision. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to have a lot of patience for a guy who's popping in and out of a Zoom interview. So that is when the, that is the moment I made the decision to just let the boys handle it, which they did beautifully and props to them for in the moment, realizing they Dude, were all going to have to come up with more questions. But I got to tell you. In that moment, I, I legitimately for the first five or 10 minutes just thought to myself, like, please don't come back. Yeah, like, I hope you understand. <laughs> yeah. And you know how I mean this. Yes. I know. Oh, I read the room yeah. in eight seconds. And because if we had to keep doing the oh, Jake's back, where are we in the conversation? It yeah. would not have worked no. with him at all, at all. It just would have disrupted everything. So thank you for that. Well, props to you guys for uh, for pivoting literally in, the you know, it's 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 like, you know, realizing you, you don't have one of your your five players on a basketball court right you're hearing the buzzer so when i was sick i i started to watch a lot of different things man jake in this analogy you're more like the coach well i had to step in for sean last week that's why all all i'm saying is that the uh the the gabe jake episodes the past two Crush, crush numbers in a while, guys. So just, Is it know, because yeah. they had Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix? It's not for I me to say. I don't know. All I know <laughs> is who they didn't have. Jake, here's it's what true. I'll tell you. There's no way to prove it. <laughs> yeah, I can't true. A B test it. It's you know, the Jake and Gabe show. <laughs> um, a lot of people have been asking about the killer, and I was trying to mention that when I was sick, I, I watched a lot of stuff, but I didn't want to watch the killer until I was ready. Until I was like. Clear minds, full hearts, David Fincher. Can't lose. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I haven't seen it yet, but a lot of people have been asking us for our takes on it. These two guys have seen it. Uh, Jakey, take it away. Where are you at with David Fincher's The Killer, which is currently available to stream on the Netflix? It uh, is, but I, I would like to add the caveat that Kevin and I each saw it in theaters. We saw it you on did. the big screen. Yes. yes. Um Here's what I'm going to say, and, and I don't know what is wrong with me, and maybe something internally is broken, because David Fincher used to, not used to, he still is one of my favorite filmmakers. You know, I still get excited when a David Fincher movie is announced and when it comes out. But I have not truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart, loved a David Fincher movie since The Social Network. And I really thought, as someone who Gone likes... I, I liked Gone Girl. I liked it. I didn't love it. I didn't love Girl the Dragon Tattoo. I didn't love Mank. Um, I did love Mindhunter, if that counts. That was a big, but but now I'm pissed off that like it's not. It doesn't have an ending. Um, you know, look, I I really thought that that him reuniting with the Seven screenwriter, the Seven is Seven is my favorite uh, David Fincher movie. You know, it, it's a movie personally filmed in Chicago. Yeah, you know, I really thought like, okay, this has got all the combinations of the things that I love about about David Fincher, and so I really wanted to maximize the experience. You know, I was like, okay, well, you know, let's let's go to the movie. Let, let me find a, a theater in Chicago, Alamo Draft House, and I want to I want to see it. I want to give it the best the best shot possible, just because I know that I've been you know haven't had a love affair with his work for over a decade. 
And it still it didn't hit me. You know, I the whole time I'm watching it, I'm going it's incredibly well made. Mm-hmm. It's it's beautifully photographed. Um, I love a, a lot of the um, uh, special effects post clips that we've been getting, which has given me a greater uh, digital, you know, or a greater sort of technical appreciation. Um, I think what Michael Fassbender has to do with the role is is interesting in that a majority of of what he does uh, is is voiceover works. Not just, I mean, he's almost in every single shot of the movie, but it, most of his dialogue is through voiceover. Hmm. It just felt to me like a very well and this I know this is an expression I use a lot. It's a very well made version of a movie that I feel like I've seen before. Hmm. A, an assassin screws up a job. Uh, they they come after his girlfriend. He gets pissed off and goes on a revenge mission trying to find the people who who hired him. It just like it was the you know look and and there have been even even amongst the the David Fincher films I didn't love there still were aspects of that where I felt like oh my god I still like I didn't I don't love this movie but I still have never really seen anything like it before like that I mean, there were moments in Gone Girl where I was like damn I've never seen anything like that before I just the whole time I'm watching this movie I just felt like this this material feels like it's not good enough for Fincher like it just doesn't you know it, it if you told me that Fincher direct, like if you hadn't told me that Fincher directed it it would have it wouldn't have been my first guess coming out of it um it just you know i i, I liked it you know uh, uh and i i not to give away kevin's review but i i I, th- I feel like i'm gonna be the downer of this segment i liked it i would give it a i would give it a three and a half out of five which you know i know like we always joke on the internet means i hated it hmm. um but i just walked away going like what i don't know what is fundamentally broken about my relationship with david fincher right now but he is not connecting with me in the way that he used to in my teenage years and, and in my 20s i don't i don't know what it but the killer it 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 didn't work for me in the way that I need David Fincher movies to work for me again. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, no, Jake and I talked about this. Um, I, yeah, I, I loved this film. I, I think it's one of my favorite Fincher films. Um, it's in my it's in my top five of the year. Um, I, it's it's very funny um, movie at times. I, I was surprised how comedic the movie is. Um, and it to me, this this is going to sound strange. I think this film belongs in the same world as Fight Club. Um, they both have a very similar vibe to them. Um, and a lot of it has to do with probably the narration from Fassbender, obviously the narration from Edward Norton, um, little shameless plug. We had Edward Norton on the show for motherless Brooklyn, and he gave a great answer about working with Fincher and recording that narration for fight club. You can go back and find that in our catalog. Um, but to me, this just felt a lot like fight club in the sense of the way the narration hit, the way it was comedic, um, the way that he was talking about corporate aspects. Obviously, remember the Starbucks thing in, in fight club. There's a lot mm-hmm. of brands in the killer, which I found interesting that are used in narrative ways. We work uh, Amazon McDonald's. Um, and there's a lot of interesting perspective that it gives you on corporations and things like that. Um at the so I want to start off with the beginning of the film because the opening credits are uh, incredible. It, it lasts for like a minute. It's like the quickest opening credits of all time. But it's like this incredible music. Obviously, Reznor and Ross uh, do the score for the film itself. But the credits are like very they felt like Fight Club. There was it was like it just kind of had an energy burst seven. to it. Seven had great seven. credits. Right. Seven are my favorite. And Fincher is one of the best 
when it comes to credits. I always wonder what his credits are going to look like. Um, I and, think that comes but, from his his background as a film as a video director. Oh, that's probably. Yeah. yeah. And so one the, what, the, what I love about this film, though, is the opening credits are like an energy shot. It's like you took a Red Bull and just and, and chugged it. And then all of a sudden he makes you sit still for the next 20 minutes uh-huh. while this character is setting up a shot which he eventually misses, which is Jake is talking about, um, which then leads to the story. But it's just so well timed and, and executed and edited. Fastbender is brilliant, like like the way his facial expressions, just the the way he moves, the way he floats around a sequence, what he stretches and things like that. But then all the people he runs into along the way, Tilda Swinton. Like that performance is amazing. There's a whole scene he has with Tilda Swinton, which I thought was one of my favorites in the film. Um, the editing on this film is some of the best I've seen in a long time. The sound design and sound editing. There's a sequence where Fassbender's character has a fight, a hand to hand fight with a guy like in an apartment. And it is just so brutal and so well done and so intense. Um, I, I just like the musicality of the film. I think Fincher has. I've said this before on the show. Fincher is one of the few filmmakers, I think, that shoots digitally very well because digital becomes part of the environment in his movies. It's a glassy, glossy, sharp feel to it. It's not it's not film. It's very sharp. It's very high def, but also the colorization of his movies, the way he colors the films in, in post. Like you remember with um, Social Network, that 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 tone he had was like the Harvard tone, the color of the film, the color of the movie. Um, And I think the killer plays into those things as well. I I think Jake is not wrong about the simplicity of it, but that's all John Wick is and all Equalizer and all these movies. It's the same thing. These guys, something bad happens and they go after people. I mean, it's we've seen it. Yes, but it's weird because the Fincher felt fresh to me. Um, the, the film felt fresh to me. It felt new to me, um, even though I knew maybe the beats of it. Uh, but one thing I'm curious about, and I would love for anybody listening to write in about this, if you can email us or YouTube us. I'm so curious about brands, like how they get access to using. The, there's a whole sequence in the killer. They pay where he literally. He <laughs> orders literally something. They pay. He, no, no, I don't think it is, because I think. I won't go into spoilers, but like there's a scene in the killer where like there's he orders something on Amazon that is then Mm -hmm. used in his mission to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's all through the Amazon app. He pulls it up. He goes to an Amazon locker. He pulls it out of the locker. And I'm like, there's no way Amazon approved that. Why would they approve that? Um, I I mean, but see, uh, Uh, Gabe says they they have have to, to, though. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. when we get off the show, I'll tell you all a story. I, 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 I talked to a filmmaker recently about this, and he said that they don't necessarily have to get permission uh, in certain sta- in certain w- in ways. I imagine How? Netflix. Did, well, to your point, if it's if it's um, he's ordering from there, using it for a kill, whatever. Like, I think you, your pause in that is because it's it's used for this violent, terrible thing. Sure, but I think, especially these days, I think most companies are not as worried about what the movie does, and they go, oh. "I'm we're going to be front and center in a David Fincher movie on Netflix and in theaters." Yeah. Like. That's the trade that you're going for. And then to Sean's point about them paying, like there's also, I don't know. It depends on, I think what it is like Amazon doesn't necessarily need to pay for that because what the only other option is he makes up some other website, like he makes up yeah. some other mm-hmm. thing that is an Amazon and he clearly, but even like McDonald's and like, there's a whole, there's a whole bit yeah. in the film I, I, about I think, McDonald's. I think like, it's, it's case by case. So like for yeah. this, it would be very interesting to hear how they did it for this film. I, I don't think Love it's necessarily a blanket 
solution for everyone. But right. But, like, there, but, like, but there are legal departments. That yes. This is right. their entire job is to get clearance for stuff like this. I would be fascinated to know. But anyways, the killer is incredible. Huey um, Lewis says he, he regrets being associated with American Psycho. For does he dec- really? Oh, yeah. For decades. Yeah, of course. He well, hates it. But he but but he had to clear that like I bet you that song it, when you're doing a song, that's yeah. licensing. That's a whole thing. I'm sure I want to know how they're pulling this stuff off. And well, if anyone knows, send, let us know. Please send all yeah. your legal memos to yeah. Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I'm gonna, during during that whole uh, while while Kevin's giving that, I'm going to blur the IMAX on his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But only during that segment. Yeah. And for the record, I bought this IMAX shirt myself. Uh, this is I'm not kidding, an ad. Kidding, no, kidding. no. In all, in all seriousness, though. But in, in, so anyways, I'll, I'll, we'll end it here with the killer. It's phenomenal. I loved it. Um, I know Jake isn't so hot on it, but I know he likes it and admires uh, the filmmaking. Um, I was lucky to see it in the theater. Jake was lucky to see it in the theater. If you get a chance, if it's still playing anywhere near you, it's hard to find. But check it out. It is great on the flat on the platform, though. I did watch it on Netflix and it's it sounds and looks awesome. Um, I mean, it really I mean, Fincher just Fincher knows what he's, the hell he's doing, clearly. Um, well. But this is definitely one of his best films. I loved this movie. I love the vibe of it. I love the Trent Reznor Ross score. Some of the best editing I've seen in a film. I'm going to do this thing that I that I hate whenever people do it to me. But where where would you at the moment? Obviously, you're always, always Fincher subjective tier to list. Fincher yeah. tier list. Fincher, Fincher tier list. Oh, I feel like a Fincher tier list is doable. Quite. Favorite we, we've seen. We, uh, favorites. Favorite Favorite okay. more to me. Right, I think Zodiac's the best movie he's ever made. Hands down from a filmmaking standpoint, I think it's the best movies ever made. Not my favorite, though. I will never watch Zodiac ever again. Oh, it's, um, uh, I, you're not I you're can't. not wrong about it potentially being the best movie. I, I think I would made. make that argument, too. Um, favorite. I, um, I got and un, honestly and unlike you. I watch it all the time. That but, beach yeah. scene is just <laughs> the beach scene. I can't. I, that's where so I, that's where I tap out. See, for, see, for me, I it's funny how we this is a tangent, but the, the difference in the way that we empathize with the yeah. on screen for me, I'm I'm feeling what you're feeling, but I'm just you're fascinated in. by the yeah. mastery of of David oh, Fincher, sure. and I'm just I'm like, oh my god, like like seeing how he's yeah. How you could make a solid off. argument that that's the best directed sequence of his entire career. It's just so the yeah. way that he pulls you off. Guys keep sleeping on the button. Hey, uh, I love Benjamin. Button. I love Benjamin Button, but also Jake. I'd have to I, I I'd have to put. In terms of the best directed sequence, it has to be the Fight Club reveal when the bullet and the and the the face. Because blo- I mean, that, that but so much of that is, is, is CGI. So that like, no, no I'm talking oh, about like the, the direction know. of the scene. How much were your oh, shares did, diluted? They weren't. They, they how weren't. Much how were much were your much? shares diluted? Yeah. Wait, they weren't. Right, yeah, Jake, uh, the, I mean, there is CG right. in that scene. But I I, yeah, I've this. seen the the video but of them blowing the air yeah, and is yeah, that's I step back, Mike, because I guarantee you, like like thirty people just screamed at their at their radio right now. No, I I've seen the video of Ed Norton. I know. The radio. Oh, also, if you're listening to us radio. on the radio, write in. <laughs> Let us know. The radio. Send us a um, smoke signal. From well, you know what's so funny is that, like, we, you know, so many of us, especially Kevin in news, you know this, we all use antiquated terms. You know, the, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, the, and in, in news, if you don't know, there's a, um, a term called satvo and a satvo yeah. is, or a sat. And it's that is a quick if you're watching a news story and they toss to just a quick little soundbite. It's not a full package, not a full news story, but a quick maybe 30 seconds. Ugh. A sat refers to a sound on tape. Like so yeah. many terms in this industry refer to technology that we don't even use anymore. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I just pictured people listening to this podcast on the radio. But here <laughs> well, we are. I, I right, guarantee no do, one's listening anymore. <laughs> I'm going to give you my very, 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 very fast. Breakdown. 
<laughs> my very fast list of where this movie ends up. Okay, so I'm looking at a, a, a list of Fincher's movies. If I, if I were to put my favorite, my number Remember one. Remember, Kevin likes Mank, too. I do love Mank. Mank is uh, incredible. My, I think my number one's got to be got to be uh, Fight Club just because it, it wow. hit me at the right time. And I remember seeing it in theaters and not understanding it and just then having them. a, just a journey them. with it. All right. Yeah. All right. Fight Club. Seven. Ooh. Social Network. Gone Girl. Oh, spicy. The Killer. Now, remember, Zodiac is the best, not my favorite. Um, the Killer and then The Game. And then Mank, Button, Alien 3, Panic Room, Dragon Tattoo. That's it. I, I need to, what, um, if we were to do a, a Fincher tier list, the, the one that I would need to revisit is uh, Alien 3. Yeah. Sure. But and sure. don't 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 quote me on that list. I just did that off the top of my head. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll come, we'll come back in stone. We'll Kevin come back. That's our thumbnail and headline yeah. for this week. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's Kevin's Fincher top ten. It's the best movie he's made. Not my not favorite. real blends Fincher yeah. top ten yeah, yeah, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin McCarthy's Fincher yeah. top ten. All right, let's and, take a quick break and um, we'll bring this uh, show to a close on the other side. We're going to bring this episode to a close and we're going to throw it out to you guys uh, because there's so much to catch up on. This is the time of the year. If people, if people don't know, get your drink ready. Uh, we started as an awards podcast uh, and in November and December, uh, we tend to get a ton of screeners. Uh, if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, we're all holding a bunch of different screeners of things that we're going to be catching Shout up on. Shout out to soon. Neon. Neon. Love the Neon book. Oh, wow. For people listening on audio, yeah. go to our video. Sean, show this. Can you can you open sure. this thing up? Yeah. This is unbelievable. This is the neon book. Uh, yeah, I have them all from over the past few years. The the list of of gems that come in this this For container. So it's that? it's uh yep. yeah, it, they're all individual discs. I and am it's curious. Why did they? Fall. Not that I'm mad about it necessarily, but why did they put? Uh, I I know that old boy? old boy is celebrating an anniversary, but why would they give us a screener of it? Like we're not going to nominate it for I anything. Think- I, I think that I think uh, that's a good question. I, well, I think that was just part of their slate. And no, I, guess so. they, I mean, just like I said, I'm not mad. I, I love old boy. Yeah. But I, whenever I was flipping through, it sort of kind of went, oh, well, that's interesting that they would. Jake, now you mentioned it on a podcast, so it was worth it for them. Yeah, See? there you go. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, there's that. There there's just that. So all the people listening on their radios can go yeah, home have, and watch uh, their VHS copy of Old Boy. Yeah, Michael or as they Mance. call it, Boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Gabe, that was a great joke. Uh, thank, you, heard. thank you, Jake. Thank you, Jake. What is that? Or as or as they call it, Boy. Boy, uh, instead, of, <laughs> instead of old boy. So we want to hear from you guys. Uh, what is the backlog title uh, that you are uh, trying to catch up on? What, what are you guys watching? I'm currently it's funny. We're talking about Netflix and the killer. And every time I open up Netflix, I'm immediately going to the fall of the House of Usher. I'm behind on that. Started watching it. I'm into episode three right now. It is incredibly good. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, like, surprise, surprise. It's, you know. Uh, Flanagan just delivers. Mike Flanagan delivers uh, at the highest level. I should just come to expect he's, that. It, he's it's been he's like just with his consistency alone climbing to the top I, of my list of like favorite filmmakers right now. That's why I really mm-hmm. think this because look, we all know that Stephen King short stories tend to make the best movies, mm-hmm. and the dramatic Stephen King short stories tend to make the best of the best movies. Mm-hmm. And he just rapped on a dramatic. Stephen King short story wait. adaptation 
which is just going to be also quick shout out quick 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 francis lawrence just announced he is doing the big screen adaptation of stephen king's the long walk which is one of the top five best stephen king novels ever if you've never read it it's a quick 200 250 pages and it is i have been screaming for years why why is this not a movie and francis lawrence who i think is a killer director uh, Isn't is, it I think just do a great someone job. who has to keep walking? Don't, it's, it's, it's imagine what well, you know. He's kind of the perfect person for it, Francis Lawrence, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a high. <laughs> it, it is a game <laughs> set in the future about kids who have to walk down the road Stop. and until they basically uh walk so far that they uh pass out or exhausted there are these there are these guys (laughs) on horsebacks with guns and if a kid whenever a kid becomes so exhausted uh and can't walk any further they shoot him and the winner of the the winner of the game is the kid who can walk the furthest Back in my day, that's how we got, that's how we did PE. Yeah, that's how we got to school. Sounds like Squid Games. It's it's pretty wild. No, I, I just thought about the idea that like Francis Lawrence is kind of the perfect person to direct this movie. That makes sense. Well, and Flanagan, if he ever gets around to doing the Dark Tower, God <sighs> bless. Well, yeah, why? Well, because I yeah, Usher was the last thing he did for Netflix. His relationship with Netflix is over. Usher is so stinking good. Well, you say um, it like that. You don't mean that like they're, they're, it's not bad terms. He's just moving. No, on, no, no. Right? Yeah, okay. I think he, I think he just signed a deal with Amazon. His deal. Is my understanding. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. Well, Amazon has boatloads of cash that they get back. I mean, I mean if he just, does like they a, were just featured in the killer, Sean. If he does a Lord of the Rings style, you know, like the what, the, the prequel yeah. Lord of the Rings thing. They that, better that, give them Lord of the Rings money. They're, oh. They better or they never. They better. They better. Oh, I know. Absolutely. That's what that adaptation would demand, obviously. Yeah. And clearly he can do yeah. it. Um, Kev, I know you want to give a little shout out to, uh, you know, this small indie uh, that, that's <laughs> making the rounds lately that, that people can't get their hands on. Yeah, every time I mention Oppenheimer, I feel, I feel like people are probably like, you know, like I, I bring it up all the time. But uh, yeah, it's available on 4K Blu-ray now. Obviously, we all have our copies. Um, we're very oh, yeah, excited about it. Yeah, yeah. But he's going to superimpose a copy yeah. into his hands. I'm going to go spend four thousand dollars on a copy on eBay. And I do want to uh, shameless plug our interview with uh, Damien Chazelle for um, we had him. <laughs> this is prior to the interview we had him on for Babylon. But the reason I bring that up is because during the pandemic, uh, Damien was like upset that he couldn't find Dunkirk um, with the IMAX shots on his on iTunes. On iTunes, because yeah. Nolan's films aren't especially on the streaming, they don't get the IMAX transitions, um, which is very important for Oppenheimer. I would argue um, if if you can get your hands on a 4K Blu-ray or a Blu-ray of some sort um, so you can get those IMAX shots, it's you can't get it on streaming. I tried it on iTunes. It's all cropped to the 220. Um, so, you know, if you want that 178 IMAX jump in that shot, um, definitely, definitely see it on the physical disc. I actually got to show it to my grandmother uh, when I was home for Thanksgiving, because my grandmother and I read the book together. Um, and back when the film came out in July, she's in a home, so she can't leave. She's 97. She's on oxygen. Um, so I bought a Blu-ray player with me with the disc. Um, and she was able to make it through an hour 15 of it. We're going to finish it on Christmas. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. And and she's 97. So the cool thing about this, the laptop uh, was being able to put the subtitles on because uh, she read the book with me but she read it way faster she's an incredible uh, incredibly fast reader um but to sit there and i thought we were going to watch 10 minutes i thought we were gonna watch 10 minutes then we were going to talk we were that was there my mom and dad we were there visiting my grandmother thanksgiving yeah, yeah, yeah. and we were going to catch up and then she just got locked in like like locked in 
Um, and then an hour and 15 minutes went by and we were, and she was like, basically like, well, my oxygen is getting low. And I was like, well, I will finish it over Christmas. But it was really cool to watch her watch it, um, especially to, I have to, to ask show you, where did you stop it? We stopped it right before right, there. Literally, uh, Neil's board just showed up at a Christmas party. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, and they are about to the Manhattan Project has already started. They built the town. OK. Um, but they haven't gotten to the Trinity test yet. OK. Um, one little cool side note I wanted to mention real fast. There's a moment in Oppenheimer where um, where Killian's character basically looks at his watch and he tells Groves that in an hour and 58 minutes, we're going to find out if the bomb works and what happens and whether or not we ignite the atmosphere. And I always wondered if it was in if, if the hour and 58 marker was actually the moment the bomb goes off in the film. And it's actually like two minutes short of it, I think. Oh, interesting. And so so I always wondered and if we are able to lucky to get Nolan on again, I would love to know why he specifically says an hour and 58 minutes. What a specific time frame to say. You yeah, could have yeah, said yeah. two hours, two and a half hours, whatever it was. Um, but anyway, so what if he my, says my grand- because an hour and 58 minutes, the bomb goes off and you go, actually, it's an hour 56. 56. And he goes, <laughs> What? what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will say this because I know we're, we got to go. Um, all of us here, I think, grew up on DVD features. Oh, right. Yeah. And I, obviously you see a lot of them behind me. Um, I think Gabe and I have bonded over the fact that the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, DVDs were like a film school in a, in a way. Um, Nolan is no no uh, stranger to DVD features in our interview for Oppenheimer. We talked a lot about watching commentary with Ridley Scott and learning about film score through that. Um, the DVD feature, the Blu-ray feature aspect of, of home video is a really fascinating thing. And he goes all out. There's an hour and a half documentary about the making of Oppenheimer on here. And it's all through the individual departments, costumes, score, uh, you know, Trinity test performances. And a lot of the interviews are shot on set. So it's cool. Like you'll see Killian in Oppie's uniform doing an air costume, doing an interview. But as Killian, it's it's actually jarring, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. It's super jarring. But the behind the scenes stuff, they literally explain literally how they did the bomb and the different chemicals in there that are it's wild, like the force perspective, the rooms they shot in. So if you're into that stuff, it's really kind of a masterclass in filmmaking. It's amazing. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, let's wrap it up. Oh, Jakey, do you have one to throw, throw out real fast? No, all good, baby. Let's go. You're all good. Good. Um, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We're going to be coming uh, into the end of the year. We're going to have some really fun stuff where we get into our top 10 lists, where we get into some big interviews for some other big titles that are coming down the pipeline. And in the meantime, uh, follow us on social media. We are at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show, of course, is at Real Blend. I want to say once again, thank you to everybody who's been sharing us in your Spotify's uh, and your Apple tunes. That's been great to see uh, how we've been showcased by a lot of people who enjoy listening to the show on a weekly basis. We want to thank everybody who's been coming out to support the Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix ones. Those numbers have been terrific. Thank you for subscribing to the YouTube channel. Share the show with your movie-loving friends. And until next time... Good night uh, and good luck. Oh, wait, no, he's not doing the show. Never mind. Damn, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs>